Well, again, we want to welcome you. If you are new with us, we are in a series called Wrestling with God. And if you, if you missed any of these sermons, you can find them online. So we are all familiar with this phrase right here. If I turned on my clicker, we're all familiar with this phrase right here. And I don't even need to put it up there. I'll believe it when... I see it. I'll believe it when, I'll, when I see it. So, for example, I be, I'll, I'll believe that Aaron Rodgers will not cause any more drama in Green Bay when I see it. Do I hear an amen? Are there any Viking fans here with me? Viking fans, are you here? Thank you. Thank you. We're few, but we're righteous and we're strong. Yes. I'll believe it when I see it. It's a phrase we use to communicate our skepticism when we doubt something to be true. For most people, the eye test is the ultimate test, right? The eye test is the ultimate test. Unless I see it, I won't believe it. And by eye test, I mean I trust only myself and my senses. And unless I see it or touch it or experience it, it can't be true. This has become the ultimate test in our country. And this phrase, I'll believe it when I see it, has taken on even greater meaning since the dawn of the scientific revolution. Since the uh, science has taught us, and again, there's nothing against science. You can't have science without God. The Christian worldview makes science possible because I can account for laws of logic and I can account for things, of, things that the, the naturalist or the humanist cannot account for. Only the Christian worldview, the biblical worldview, can account for these things. Science has taught us that if you cannot see it, assess it, touch it, test it, or inspect it, then you probably shouldn't believe it. And so in that sense, science has taught this generation a very important truth. The scientific, since the dawn of the scientific revolution, it has only fueled mankind's propensity to walk by sight and not by faith. That is what science has done. Science has done so much good. But in this regard, it has taught us to walk by sight and not by faith. In our culture, if you want to be considered intellectual, if you want to be taken seriously, if you want to see it at the table, then you better set faith aside and trust only what your eyes can see. Because if you don't, you're going to be tagged as one of those naive religious people who reads their Bible and believes those myths and silly superstitions therein. That's what you'll be tagged. Now, not surprisingly, in the kingdom of God, things are 100% opposite. In the kingdom of God, those that we consider heroic are those that are able to step out in faith and trust God regardless of what their eyes can or cannot see. This is what we value in God's kingdom. Which brings us to our passage this morning where we are going to read about one of Jesus' own disciples who wrestled to walk by faith and not by sight and whose name, perhaps unfairly, has become synonymous with doubting. Can you guess who it is? Church. It's my honor to take us to the word of God today. We'll be in John chapters 20, beginning in verse 24. Hear the word of God this morning. Now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them, that is the other disciples, when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put, your ha put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord 
and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Amen. Church, I present to you the word of God today. Now, before we go casting too many stones at poor doubting Thomas, let's not forget all of the disciples initially wrestled to believe that Jesus had risen from the dead. Let me prove it to you. Now, it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna, the Mary of mother and uh, the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles that the tomb was empty. But these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. Amazingly, even after Jesus physically stood in the presence of the disciples, they still wrestled to believe. Let me prove it to you. While they were telling these things, he himself stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought that they were seeing a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do you doubts arise in your heart? See my hands and my feet that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hand and his feet. While they Listen to this. While they still could not believe it because of their joy and amazement, he said to them, have you anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it before them. The disciples actually fall into the rare category of seeing, yet still struggling to believe. Jesus, of course, shows him his hands and his feet, and he even eats food, proving to them that indeed he had risen from the dead. Now, all of the disciples were present except Thomas. Thomas wasn't present. And so the disciples run to Thomas and tell them all that had happened. And what does Thomas do? He invokes the almighty eye test. That's what he does. Back to our passage. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the almighty eye test, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the marks of the nail and place my hand into his side. This isn't just the eye test. This is the touch test. I want definite proof or I will never believe. Unless I see, unless I touch, I will never believe. Folks, we are living in a generation where that is the mantra. Unless you believe, unless you touch, unless you can see it, assess it, touch it, inspect it, you should probably not believe it. Folks, that is not the kingdom that you and I live in. We live in a kingdom where it is just the opposite, where we have been called to walk by faith and not by sight. The eyewitness testimony of the other disciples is not enough for Thomas. The only eyes Thomas will trust are his own eyes. Of course, Jesus, as he did with the other disciples, mercifully shows himself to Thomas. Now, I want you to notice, we already read this. Eight days later, his disciples were inside and Thomas was with them. And then it says, although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. I don't know that I would have peace if the doors were locked and Jesus showed up. Amen? It'd be tough. My wife does that sometimes. She appears out of nowhere in the house and it's like, ah, where'd you come from? There's no peace in that moment. <laughs> but Jesus shows up and says, peace be with you. But I want you to notice what it says. Eight days later, eight days later, Thomas spent eight days doubting the resurrection. He had the eyewitness testimony of the other apostles, of the women as well. But he wouldn't believe. And while eight days isn't a long time, it is an example of lost time. And the reason I bring this up is because, as you all know, time is one of the most precious resources we have in this lifetime. Is it not? It might be the most precious resource that we have on this side of heaven. Our time. 
Psalm 90.12 says, teach us to number our days, O Lord, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. In other words, Lord, help me remember daily how short life is so that I make better decisions today. And these eight days, guys, are a reminder that time itself is often one of the biggest casualties when we choose to walk by sight and not by faith. The world that you and I are living in is going to tell you, whatever you do, walk by sight. Don't be one of those people that reads their Bible and walks by faith. You walk by sight and not by faith. And when we choose to do that, guess what? The days pass by. The weeks pass by. The months pass by. The years pass by. And we do exactly what the world is doing, trusting only what we can see and believing only what we can see, taste, touch, and smell. Or we can walk by faith. But when we delay, time is often the biggest casualty. Now, secondly, I want you to notice the very end of it. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you count the disciples blessed because they got to see Jesus physically resurrected from the dead? Of course you do. Let me ask you a question. What would you give to have been in that room to see Jesus risen from the dead? You'd give anything. I would. I would give anything to be alive at that time and be in the room and see Jesus physically resurrected from the dead. We would count them blessed, and rightly so they were. But here's the crazy part of this. The crazy part of this is that according to Jesus himself, the greater blessing actually belongs to those of us who come to believe only using the eyes of faith. Who would have figured? Would you have ever figured that? If when you were born, God gave you the opportunity, you can be alive when my son rises from the dead and be in the room and see him physically, or you can live in the 21st century having never seen him, only believing on him by faith, what would you choose? I would choose that in the flesh. My flesh would tell me choose that. But Jesus says the greater blessing belongs over here to those of you living in the 21st century who believe without having seen. Why is that? I don't know. Perhaps it's because those who come to believe using merely the eyes of faith Perhaps they demonstrate a faith that is more rich, more deep, more satisfying. I don't totally know. But Jesus says, more blessed are you when you don't need to see, when you don't need to invoke the eye test as the ultimate test before you step out in faith and trust God and believe in God. Now, as you all know, the Christian life is one in which we are continually called to walk by faith. We don't just believe in Jesus by faith. We proceed in Jesus by faith. Amen? We walk daily in faith. That's what the Bible says. For we walk by faith and not by sight. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 or Galatians 2, 20. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And that same blessing Jesus pronounces, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. I think that applies. I believe it applies anytime we as believers step out in faith. Blessed are you whenever you walk by faith and not by sight. Amen? Blessed are you when you walk by faith and not by sight. The pressing question today, guys, is this. Will we be a generation of Christians who courageously walk by faith, trusting in the promises of God as if they are good as gold? Will we? Will we? Or will we be a generation of believers who constantly wrestle to believe in the word of God and the promises of God, never stepping out in faith, never doing anything courageous in this generation? Because listen very carefully. Everybody listen to me. Don't miss this. If there is any hope of impacting this generation, it is only going to come if we as believers press forward in our faith with assurance and conviction about what it is we believe. And you want to know why? Because the world over here has assurance and conviction about the things they believe in. Would you agree with me? You better believe they do. 
They have conviction about everything. They have conviction about the environment, how we should raise our children, about politics, about everything, about money. The world has incredibly intense convictions. And if you need proof of that, go and watch the news and you will see the people of this world going to great lengths to get their point across. That's how much conviction the world has. But you know what I want? I want the world that is full of conviction about what they believe to look at those of us over here going, oh my gosh, I thought I had conviction over here. Those people over there are crazy. Those Christians, their conviction is far greater than anything over here. Folks, we have to shine in this generation as a people that have assurance and conviction about what we believe, trusting in the word of God and the promises of God as if they're as good as gold. Because if we don't, we will not surpass the conviction over here. And they will simply ignore us. But they can't ignore people that are trusting God. Amen? They can't ignore, ignore people that are stepping out in faith and trusting in the promises of God as if they are good as gold. And by the way, that is the very way that faith is defined in the Bible. Hebrews 11.1, 1. faith is what? The assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Our faith should have an assurance and a conviction that the world does not know about. They should look at us and go, oh my goodness, I thought I had conviction? No, I don't. Because the church, the body of Christ is filled with people who are sold out People who walk by faith live their lives with assurance and conviction regardless of what their eyes can or cannot see. Let me demonstrate this to you. Let's start with the first part of this. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Perhaps one of the greatest examples in the Bible of this is Moses. Listen to this. This is a man who walked by faith. This is mind-blowing, actually. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasure of sin, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Let's unpack this. Remember, Moses was raised by Pharaoh's daughter, and he stood to inherit much, if not all, of Egypt's wealth. And yet he walked away from it all. Why? Because he was so sure about the reward that was to come, he was willing to make radical decisions here and now. Go figure. Who in the world would walk away from the wealth of the world? Literally, Egypt was the center at this time. The wealth of the world was there, and he walked away from it all. That is why I'm saying if we want to impact this generation, we're going to have to be a people who have conviction about what we believe. So much assurance, so much conviction that we make radical decisions here and now like Moses did when he walked away from the, all the wealth that was his, walked away from it. Who does that? I'll tell you who does that. Somebody who walks by faith and not by sight. The world is going to tell you, trust your eyes. The Bible says you trust God. Amen? Amen. That is what the Bible calls you and me too. Folks, that is a faith we want to emulate right there. The Apostle Paul, by the way, spoke about this same type of faith that looks forward to its future reward. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Let me ask you, do you believe that? Do you have faith that what is coming is beyond all comparison? Because if you do, step out in faith and live your life now like that is true. As we look to the things that are as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. 
but the things that are unseen are eternal. By faith, Moses lived his life with the finish line in mind, with his eyes on the prize. He ran the race set before him with conviction and assurance. And that is exactly what it looks like to walk by faith. It looks like ordering your life here and now as if you are banking everything on what is to come. Did you hear what I just said? Walking by faith looks like ordering your life here and now as if you are banking on everything, banking everything on what is to come. And if that even sounds remotely familiar, it should because Jesus himself talked about this. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in to steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Now let's not sugarcoat this. It's going to take faith if we're going to follow what Jesus says here, if we're really going to go, you know what? I'm not going to hold the things of this world tightly and I'm not going to invest here. Everybody here is telling me to do just that. The people of this world, my friends, my family, my neighbor, even somebody close to me might be telling me invest here and I'm not. I'm going to walk away from that. And I'm going to store up treasures here. I am so sure of what is to come. I'm going to bank my life now as if this is as good as gold. It's going to take faith to do that. That's because to live out this verse right here, priorities are going to have to be examined. Tough decisions are going to have to be made. Sacrifices are probably going to be required. But that's what happens when you walk by faith. Priorities are examined. Tough decisions are made. Sacrifices are made. This is what it means to walk by faith. Now, Let's go look at the second part of this. Now, faith is the assurance. Moses was so sure of what was to come, he made radical decisions now. And then it says this, the conviction of things not seen. And I think a really practical example of this is Abraham. Listen to this. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he, would, that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. God called Abraham to go to a land he had never seen before and knew nothing about. And guess what Abraham does? With conviction, he steps out in faith, packs up his whole family, packs up all his belonging, and goes from the land of Ur to the promised land. He had never seen it. He knew nothing about it. Now, remember how I said science has only fueled our propensity to walk by sight and not by faith? Not that there's anything wrong with science, but you know how it has fueled that? So has technology. So has technology. Let me give you a perfect example. I have an iPhone, and I have fallen in love, perhaps with all of the apps. The one app that I love the most is Google Maps, because I never have to step out without knowing where I'm going. Amen? Isn't that the best? Nobody should ever get lost anymore. Back when, some of you are not going to remember this, but the old, those of you that are near my age, you'll know that we actually had to use maps back in the day. Thomas guides. But now, there's no chance really of me getting lost. It will, Siri will tell me where to go, and if you're wearing an Apple watch, it'll buzz your wrist every time you're to take a right or a left. Did anybody have that feature? I, I just broke my, I broke my watch, so I don't have it anymore. But it's great. You're driving, and you might be tuned out, and all of a sudden you feel this little zzz on your wrist, and it's like, oh, got to make a turn, got to make a turn. But even science, technology, everything about this world is telling us trust in what you can see. 
Every advancement seems to only fuel that. And yet, guys, we are called to live in a kingdom where we walk by faith and not by sight. Those that we consider heroic in this kingdom have mastered the idea of the eye test is the ultimate test. Those that we consider heroic in this kingdom have done just the opposite. They trust the word of God and the promises of God as if they're good as gold, as if they are good as gold. It makes me wonder, am I living with conviction about the promises of God in this generation? Let me give you two promises of God and ask yourself, am I all in on these? The first is this, Matthew 6, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you as well. Jesus starts this paragraph by saying, don't worry about what you're gonna eat or where you're gonna sleep, what you're gonna wear, all of that stuff. Don't worry about your life. I only have one assignment for you. You seek me first. You seek my kingdom first. You seek my righteousness first. You put me first and I'll take care of everything else. Folks, it's going to take faith to live out that verse. Because the world is going to say, whatever you do, seek your career first, seek relationships first, seek yourself first, seek whatever first, seek stuff over here first, and then with the leftover stuff, give it to God. With what's left over, give it to God. And not surprisingly, it's 100% opposite in the kingdom of God. God says, no, it's just the opposite. You go all in here. Not 99%, 100%. You seek me first all the time, every way, in every way, shape, or form. You seek me first, and I got this. Folks, we're either going to believe that verse in this generation or we're not. Because if we do believe it, the world is going to look at a group of people sold out seeking God's kingdom. And they're going to be over here going, what is going on over there? What is going on over there? But if we don't, we're going to be over here with them seeking these things first and only occasionally going over there and there's going to be nothing to offer the world. They're going to go, hey, oh, you're a Christian? Well, you're, you're a lot like me. Let's seek this together whatever this is. No thanks. You'll find me over there. If you want to find me, you better kick it into high gear because I'm seeking the Lord with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I'm talking about we as Christians. That, that, that's what I want this generation to be, that we're so in pursuit of this that they can hardly keep up. When Paul started out in ministry, only one church came to his aid, and that was the church at Philippi. And he said, he thanked them for that. And then he said this in Philippians 4.19, he says, I know my God will supply all of your need according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. They gave, Paul said, God will supply. I'm all in over here. Time, treasures, talents, priorities, you name it, whatever it is, I'm giving all of it over here. And I'm going to trust that God is going to meet every one of my needs according to his riches and glory. I don't know how he's going to do it. I don't know when and where he's going to do it, but I'm either going to believe it or I'm not. Because if I'm not, then I'm just going to seek everything that the world is seeking and act just like the world. But folks, if we're going to change this generation, I've said it before, we're either going to be a people that believe, we have our convictions. They know what we believe. The world knows what we believe. They just want to see if we'll live it out. They are living out their convictions every day. Turn on the news. They are living, the world is living out their convictions in every way. Are we living out ours? Do you want to know how impactful, just how impactful somebody walking by faith can be? Get ready to have your minds blown. This impactful. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. Listen to this. Who through faith, 
These are people that walk by faith, conquered kingdoms. Who conquers kingdoms? Those that walk by faith, enforce justice, obtain promises, stop the mouths of lions, quench the power of fire, escape the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. What? Listen to this one. Women, women who walk by faith, what happened to them? Receive back their dead by resurrection. What? Who walks by faith? People that walk by faith do this. They were tortured, refusing to accept release. Who does that? People who walk by faith and not by sight. That's who. So that they might rise again to a better life. Who accepts torture? Refusing to be released, those that walk by faith and not by sight because their mind is set on the kingdom that is to come and the reward that is to come. That's who does that sort of thing. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. Let me just stop right there. You want to know what faith looks like? The conviction that these people had? They walked around destitute. They were so sold out for what God had called them to that they were willing to live in caves wearing sheep's goats, sheep's skins, or whatever you call them, fleeces. It's incredible. They went about in the skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens of caves of the earth. Who does that? People who walk by faith and not by sight. See, people that walk by sight and not by faith, they only want to live in houses with nice mansions and great security. Those that walk by faith and not by sight are willing to do radical things. They're willing to walk away from the things of this world and invest everything, banking everything on what is to come. It's just an incredible passage. And you know what it tells me? What these guys did borders on the unbelievable. Let me, let, let me go back. Do you really believe this passage? Do you believe this passage? Do you believe that there were people by faith that conquered kingdoms and forced justice to obtain promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to fight? Do you really believe it? Of course you do. You believe it here, but it's hard to believe it here, isn't it? But the fact is, these things happened. These things happened. What borders on the impossible happened because people walked in faith. And you know what that tells me? It tells me this. We can do what borders on the unbelievable in this generation when we walk by faith and not by sight. That's what it tells me. We might look at culture and go, there's no way that we have any hope for this culture. Want to bet? And I'm going to prove it to you. But th what I'm about to tell you, I have, no, I have no stake in this. I have no, what's the word I'm looking for? What I'm about to tell you is borders on the unbelievable, and it happened because people walked by faith, but I wasn't one of them, okay? I, I would have, and I would have, I did. I, I did not believe for a moment that in my lifetime, Roe v. Wade would be overturned, that the slaughter of innocent children would come to an end in my generation, or at least we would make strides in that. I did not believe it, I did not fight for it. I did not really ever pray for it. There are those at this church that did every Sunday night. There are those in this country and around this, in this country, Christians that labored and prayed and had faith that it could happen. I wasn't one of them. And I mean that. But I learned a lesson. And the lesson I learned is that when people walk in faith, what seems impossible becomes probable. And I'm going to tell you, that's not a mistake I'm going to make again. 
because the victory that just occurred was tremendous. Lives are being saved. This will echo into eternity. I hope you understand that. Many Christians, I think, are afraid because Roe v. Wade has been overturned, and what are the ramifications of that? I don't know the, the earthly ramifications, but I know the eternal ramifications. It's going to echo into eternity. And I wasn't fighting like my brothers and sisters, stepping out in faith to overturn that like I could have, but that is not a mistake I will make again, either on this front or another, Lord willing. I want to walk by faith and not by sight. Do you? I hope you do, because when you do, you will be on the right side of history, watching things happen, like enemies, foreign enemies being chased off, or lions' mouths being closed, or fire coming to an end, or whatever. I mean, that, that passage was loaded with things that happened in that century. It can happen now, if we will walk by faith and not by sight. But folks, that won't be easy. Walking by faith and not by sight will often only come after long seasons of wrestling with God. Some of you have been wrestling with God, I have no doubt. There's an area of your life or a, a, a promise in the Bible in which you have been willing to trust and step out in faith and believe. Let today be the day that that comes to an end. With conviction and assurance, trust God's word where it calls you to live for him. Listen, every day you and I are alive, we're going to be presented with opportunities to walk by faith. You do realize that. Some of you were presented opportunities even this morning. Many more of you will have opportunities later today. Whatever you do, don't, do not let those opportunities pass you by. Exercise your faith, even if it's in small ways. Listen, I look at this group right here. You are a fit, well, healthy, strong-looking group of people. And you know why? Because you understand that there is benefits that come with exercising your body. Amen? Well, in the same way, know that there are benefits that come when you exercise your faith, even in the smallest ways. So as God presents those to you, see them for what they are. Divine gifts for you to step out and say, God, I'm going to trust you here. I am going to trust you here. Like Moses, perhaps you can step out in faith and start living so certain of your eternal reward that you start making more bold and courageous decisions today. I bet that there are some of you in here, like me, who have made conservative, safe steps when you need to take courageous, bold steps of faith. Or like Abraham, perhaps you need to step out in faith and start trusting in the promises of God as if they're good as gold. Let me ask you this. Is there a promise in the Bible that you have been hesitant to trust as good as gold? Whatever it might be. Is there a promise of God that you're like, gosh, I want to believe that, but it's just so hard. Step out in faith and trust him. By the way, do you want to know when an opportunity to step out in faith presents itself or how you can potentially identify it? It's when you sense fear. Because fear and faith often go hand in hand. In other words, when you find one, you often find the other. And you know how I know that? Because in Hebrews chapter 11, every example that I just read involved fear. You think stopping the mouth of a lion wasn't scary? You think in chasing foreign armies wasn't scary? You think, I mean, everything that I read in there, there was fear involved. So when you sense fear, lift your head up. The world senses fear and closes down. You as a Christian lift your head up and go, okay, God, I'm going to step out in faith and you're going to display yourself as strong. I'm afraid, but here we go. Amen? I'm going to be that type of Christian so that the people over here in the world look at me and go, oh my goodness, I thought I had conviction about the environment or about electric cars or about how to raise your kids or about how to do education. I thought I had conviction. Pales in comparison to what's going on over there. Pales in comparison. Let me ask you, do you have that type of conviction about what you claim to be true? I hope you do. I hope I do. I hope I do. The next time you feel yourself feeling afraid, lift your head up. By the way, I want to say this. I've been talking about 
Christians, believers, who did courageous things in past generations. Why do I tell you that? When is the Lord going to return? I don't know, but what I'm about to say to you is going to shock some of you, so brace yourselves. He may not come back for 500 years. He may not come back for a thousand years. I don't know. And I know that's a bummer for some of you because you're sure it's going to happen today or tomorrow. But so did the Christians a thousand years ago. But here's my point. The Christians a thousand years from now, when they're unpacking Hebrews chapter 11, they're going to go, those were amazing people. Oh, by the way, you know who was just like them? The Christians living at the beginning of the 21st century. They were sold out people. They were crazy. They overturned Roe v. Wade. And by faith, they did a million other things that were unbelievable and improbable. And yet they did it because they trusted in a God that could do the impossible. And they stepped out in faith and followed him with all of their heart. Amen? Folks, either we're going to be that type of generation or we're not. I've already failed on one front. I'm not going to do it again. I'm not going to do it again. The next time something happens in this world that is improbable, and it happens because Christians have believed and prayed and stepped out in faith and walked. I want to be a part of that group when it happens. And I hope you do too. I finish with this question. Where can you step out and exercise faith this week, this day? Maybe even in the next hour when you go to lunch. Walk in faith and watch what God does. <laughs>